0: Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick.
1: And I'm Shannon.
0: And we are your co-hosts. And today, I'm going to be doing something very special, uh, a chart reading for our dear friend Shannon.
1: Very special indeed. Um, and I'm going to be talking about Oxalis, or False Shamrock, and the Morrigan.
0: Ooh. And I know.
1: It's a good one. Good it one. Is
0: It is such a good one. And so one of the things we actually were talking about before we were recording uh, was that I remember reading like a fantasy novel uh, during my like, I'm going to read every fantasy novel phase about the Morrigan, and I cannot remember the name of it. So chime in if if you have a similar memory.
1: Right. If anybody remembers a weird, like young preteen book about the Morrigan. <laughs> Nick is looking. I'm trying to you know
0: and it's like it's <laughs> like my that's uh definitely my shower thought of the week. Um uh kind of thinking about the Morrigan, because I knew we were doing the episode. It's like, what is <laughs> what was that book? I remember it.
1: Right? I mean I we remember all, the name of it. We all have books like that. So I hope somebody listening maybe happens to know. Cause I feel like people that are witches now. We're probably the same people that we were reading fantasy books. Um <laughs> I I have to say, speaking of fantasy, I just started a new podcast. It's a Dune cast on the last podcast network. And I heard Dune described in the best way I have ever heard it. And they said, Dune is Star Wars for Goths. Oh
0: and I my felt God. that in
1: my soul.
0: Oh, I did too. That's right. Wow. Ben, Ben feel ben's feeling it as well
1: yeah it just i've never felt so seen um also,
0: also can we talk about how kyle mclaughlin is literally so hot in the dune movie
1: i mean he really is but can we talk about how they somehow went from hot kyle mclaughlin to hot timothy chalamet as paul atreides
0: wait wait they did do a remake of Dune. They they well, already came out with it or No, no,
1: no. It's coming out in October, but they've released all of like the um all of the previews and stuff and they were doing the touring and like the press tour for it because it was supposed to come out last October and then the pandemic happened. But yeah, Timothy Chalamet is also an excellent Paul Atreides.
0: I, I'm very much here for it.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's our weird sci-fi corner. So (laughs) we just had St. Patrick's Day here though in the US. And of course it has me like thinking about all things Irish, um, you know, probably shocking to so many of you since my name is Shannon. uh, My family does have strong Irish roots on my mother's side.
0: Um, I I do want to chime in here and say that I have met pretty much everyone in shannon's family and this is, this is very true
1: yeah, it is very true um you know we we've been really lucky i think growing up at least when my great-grandmother was alive we we did actually like have some pretty fun traditions that were you know tied back to our family lineage like you know i mentioned doing lamb stew on ostara and the lamb stew around easter time is like such a family tradition of mine and this is the time of the year that at some point I would walk in and the house would just like smell like farts because my grandmother was making cabbage stew (laughs) you know um and you know with all of that like sort of mood in the air I wanted to talk about a house plant that I feel like kind of gets at those Irish vibes and of course I feel like oxalis triangularis or false shamrock is a perfect fit here but funnily enough they're actually native to Brazil they're not from Ireland at all.
0: You know, they're similar.
1: (laughs) Brazil and Ireland. I hear that all the time. Brazil and Ireland, basically the same place. Um, (laughs) But I feel like they still sort of get at the vibe though. You know, they're very pretty. They do have that super, you know, classic, like three leaves on them. They look like, you know, clovers. And They're wonderful little houseplants. I think they're super affordable almost everywhere I've seen them since in the U.S. At least I got one for four bucks at Trader Joe's. You know, I feel like they're very easy and cheap to find this time of year. Um, And they can, you know, in addition to being houseplants, you can grow them as outdoor plants in some areas. Uh, I think it's like zones eight to 11. But, you know, I think more often than not, you still sort of see them as houseplants for, you know. Not the old school gardeners. I feel like they're you'll see Oxalis in like the gardens of people that have been in the gardening world for a long time. Um, Older people. Uh, (laughs) But I think these days they're more sort of seen as a houseplant. So there are two varieties that you'll see most often. Um, There's the standard green, which I have, and the purple variety. And the purple variety, of course, is the one that you see all the time on social media. Uh, But I do, I love my green version. I feel like the very classic green clover just like gets me in the feels. And they do have, you know, they have these beautiful little heart-shaped leaves, and they each have three sides, and they sort of, like, meet at a point at the end of every stem. And so the overall effect is, like, it kind of looks like a trio of butterflies that are joined together by their little butterfly noses. Um, wow. Right? Right. I love them so much. And these are awesome plants if you have like space considerations, because they do stay pretty compact. They only get up to about like 10 inches or so, and they'll fill out whatever pot you keep them in. So they're they're a great plant if you want something that's like nice and full and lush. You know, this isn't a plant where you're going to have like two little stems in the pot and it's going to look sad. <laughs> so, you know, we've all seen those plants and like oh, yeah. Godspeed to them. Um, But the flowers are also super cute on these. They're like, they're white with purple and like some pinky hues mixed in. And, you know, like the plant, the flowers are also super dainty and they form in like small little clusters and they actually can last for several weeks, which I think is pretty impressive considering, you know, especially for a house plant, having something last that long feels really good for such a little guy. Um, And they do come up from bulbs. So these are bulb plants. And the bulbs look like sort of little immature pine cones. Very, very cute. Um, And when you're planting them inside, you can feel free to crowd them. You know, these these bulbs only need about like an inch between them. And that's how you're going to make sure you keep that full look, which is what most of us are going for. And to get these, you know, the cheapest way to find these, other than, you know, of course, if you run into one at a Trader Joe's, But, you know, I've heard, especially from some podcasters I listen to in the UK is like buying them as bulbs can be a lot cheaper as well. So that's something I would definitely look into. So you can just poke the bulbs into some well-draining soil any way up. Actually, they're a lot easier than some other bulbs in that sense. And then just water them lightly, like once every couple of weeks, and then you'll start seeing some beautiful new growth. So I think it's usually about like six weeks after planting, you'll start seeing your little shamrocks, you know, you'll get your, your little, uh, I think what the cotyledon is what the, I think that's what the tiny new, um, plant leaves are called. But then once those like really immature leaves, uh, have been up for a little bit, they'll kind of give way to the actual clover looking, uh, foliage, which is just like so precious. So you do want to be very light in watering with these, you know, too much water is going to cause them to actually go dormant because they do, if you're planting them outside, they're going to go dormant for several months a year. Um, And if you water them too much indoors, it kind of makes, it tricks the plant into thinking it's like fall. And so they'll let all of the foliage die back and then you're going to think your plant is dead, but it's, it's not, it's just taking a nap. Um, (laughs) And I think it's it's a pretty cool, good rule of thumb for, you know, plants that have really tuberous roots. You can typically go a little bit longer between waterings on plants like that because those, those like thick tubers, they hold a lot of moisture. So these are also a great choice if you're someone who's like a little forgetful about watering your plants. You know, something like an oxalis could be a perfect fit for you. So indoors, of course, you're going to look for a sunny spot, but you don't want to have a bunch of direct sunlight because it can cause these little white spots on the leaves, which are not what you're going for. And that's sun damage. So, you know, classic uh, bright indirect light, look for the sky, but you don't have to see the sun from the window is a really good rule of thumb for that. And surprisingly, considering these are from Brazil, they do prefer the cooler parts of the home. So you're going to want to try and keep them, you know, at at least 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't go much warmer than that. And also just keep an eye out for forced heat sources during the winter. Um, And, you know, these plants do, again, they go dormant occasionally. Even if you're growing them inside, every like three years or so, they're going to have a dormant period. So once it happens, You know, all you need to do is just stop watering them, let them dry out completely. And then in a few weeks, you'll start seeing a few new sprouts appearing. And then once you see the sprouts, you can just sort of get back on your normal watering regimen. So, you know, don't panic. If you get one of these and suddenly everything dies back, (laughs) give it a minute.
0: Uh, Kind of a drama queen, though. Like,
1: Oh, yeah, a total drama queen. Too much water? I'm going to take a nap now. (laughs) It's like, I'm dying. Right. I do think, though, there's some other really cool things about these guys. So they're highly photophilic, which means that they open and close, not just their blooms, but also their leaves in response to light. Other plants that are super photophilic that you're probably familiar with are things like the marantas and calatheas, you know, the prayer plants. That's that's that movement. And you get these and it kind of looks like little butterflies, like flapping in slow motion, if you watch like the time lapse videos. And they're also incredibly long lived plants, you know, these are one that can end up as heirloom plants, because they do have that cycle of going dormant, it actually helps the plant, you know, live longer, because it's able to sort of like, take a break and like, regather it's like, you know, energy when it needs it. Uh, so there's some people that, you know, I read some stuff online, people talking about them being passed down for like three or four generations, which is just crazy. Um, they are poisonous to pets because of the oxalic acid. But for people, you can actually uh, consume them in moderation. And I've seen some people like use a few leaves from like the purple ones, to like top off salads and stuff. It's It's very pretty. And You know, propagation with these is pretty much what you would expect. You know, you'll just want to pull out a few bulbs. These plants do tend to spread into whichever container they're in. So you'll have you'll have the opportunity to pluck some new bulbs out and, you know, then you can share or you can make other plants for yourself. Um, But yeah. So on to the magic, because this is a podcast about magic. Uh, Oxalis is bound to Venus and Earth, but I have also seen some people associating it with Mercury. But these plants are really great magic for like, like love magic and for your home. If you wanted to do a spell for like home protection, you know, utilizing some of the leaves uh, in a spell would be great. You know, do some little dried leaves as part of, um, you know, maybe like a protection jar. That would be a really great use for these. Um, They're also really great though for things uh, regarding luck. Not only because, you know, they look like clovers, but because of their own sort of like lucky and abundant properties, you know, when people think about plants that like spread really prolifically and look really beautiful and full, you know, those things tend to like bring connotations of like abundance and wealth, you know, so you could use these in like money and wealth spells, uh, as well as luck spells, you know, maybe you've got like a test or a big day at work, you know, you could take one of these little like clovers and like pop it into your pocket, you know, something like that. I always love little spells that you can do. Yes, Yeah. And these plants do have like deep roots, you know, they're tuberous. So these are also good plants to work with if you're trying to do grounding. And I think for some people, I mean, especially myself included when I was first getting, you know, really getting into the craft grounding can be a little difficult to focus on. If you don't have like a strong meditation practice already, So it can be really helpful to have something to, you know, focus on and, like, focus your attention on it. That way you can sort of, like, sink into the moment instead of being totally distracted by all of the busyness in your mind. And I think doing that with plants is great. And something like this, you know, the Oxalis is, like, a perfect choice for that. So that's, I mean, that's it, the Oxalis. I do love
0: that. And I also, I'm like, I feel like you could press it in a book pretty well.
1: Because oh it's like,
0: yeah it's like pretty thin and i just i love i love an uh like a plant bookmark
1: <laughs> no i agree i think plant bookmarks are totally underappreciated so i do uh, i did use a few sources for this easy to grow bulbs.com uh <laughs> good witches homestead max the death witch uh, uh on tumblr and Asheville, Raven and Crone dot store (laughs) dot (laughs) blog.
0: I know I like easy
1: to grow bulbs. My favorite part about doing the research for these is like sometimes I end up on websites that are very clearly like written by and for like grandmas.
0: (laughs) Yes. Easy to grow (laughs) bulbs dot com.
1: Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, So now, though, many moons ago, You all might remember back when we talked about Odin, uh, I kind of touched on the Morrigan. You know, I mentioned that there were a lot of things that sort of seemed in alignment there. And then we promised we'd cover her at some point. Well, today is that point because my partner is finally catching up on the podcast and (laughs) which is fine. You know, they listen to other things, but I was in the room for I had like come into the office for something and our Odin episode was on and I heard me talk about the Morgan and I was like, oh shit, that was months ago. Right. So <laughs> we're we really dropped the ball. Yeah. You know, this is why one of these days we'll have someone taking notes that's, for us. That's
0: a very good point. Because no, it's like we've even had since then several of our like episode planning phone calls and not once has it come back up
1: no, like we were no. so
0: excited about doing a Morgan episode and then
1: and then we got so excited about all of the other episodes we've <laughs> released but i was excited to do this and you know i feel like because the morrigan is really one of like ireland's probably most famous and definitely notorious goddesses like her name translates to phantom queen or great queen depending on the celtic that you're looking at um and so i do want to preface this by saying i have done so much work to try and get these pronunciations correct i have watched a lot of videos but I am still just a dumb American. So for any listeners in the UK or people that know Irish very well, I am genuinely trying. I'm not trying to be offensive. So um, with that said, uh, I do think that most of us probably already know she's really like famous for being a goddess of war like witchcraft and death protection and retribution and it's pretty common knowledge i think among you know people that have an interest in witchcraft that she has like strong ties with the irish celts but i thought it was interesting that there was actually an inscription found in france uh invoking catubodia Or Battle Raven, which actually, interestingly, like kind of shows that there is this similar concept that's also being, you know, talked about by the Gaulish uh, Gaulish Celts at the same time as it was like the Irish
0: Celts, sort of, yeah, archetype,
1: yeah. Which I thought was, I thought it was really fascinating. Well, you know, I I feel like
0: we might have talked about this at some other point, but you've heard about Doggerland, right?
1: I don't think so.
0: So supposedly, and this is actually very interesting, I think. Supposedly, uh, at the end of the last Ice Age, coming into the modern era, um, the English Channel was actually just low-lying land. So oh,
1: yes. But If keep you going, think I'm about,
0: sure. like, Death Valley, right? Um, low-lying yeah. land yeah. tends to be quite a bit warmer than, like, higher elevations. So, that's where all of the people were. And then it actually took quite a long time for the English Channel to fill back up. And they see, like, villages with, like, proper stone houses and stuff down there. Which kind of explains why the Celts were, you know, have, like, a similar culture even across uh, the distance.
1: Cause yeah, because... Like- it wasn't always a body of water. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's like they used to live in the English
1: Channel. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I I think that it's always fascinating, and we've talked about it a few times. But again, to me, I'm always just so interested when we find you know similar deities or ideas being talked about in different places um, because it just it feels so great when that happens because it's like oh look at this man like different people were even tapping into this energy. But back to the Morrigan. Um, she is really, though the the entire story of her is pretty unique, though to this Celtic mythology. Some scholars have like found figures in other Celtic lore that they think might be similar to the Morrigan, but there's nothing super, you know, concrete there. And some people have actually drawn similarities between the Morrigan and Morgan Le Fay, the, you know, the well-known antagonist of Arthurian legend um, who did share a lot of attributes with the Morrigan and the Morrigan is also called a fairy queen in some instances. Um, But there's again, some contention around how strong that tie actually is, but you know, you can do your own research and make your own decisions on that one. So while the Morrigan doesn't have, you know, direct analogs and other regional mythologies, she is still kind of similar, though, to the Germanic um, Perkta and Odin, which we have already mentioned, because she has really strong ties to, like, ravens, death, and war, and those are really common themes with those other deities. So a bit of backstory. The Morrigan was, of course, first and foremost, a goddess of war and death, and the goddess of prophecy and fate. So the connections between like, war and prophecy are all super important to stories about the Morrigan. And the great thing about her is she does share her wisdom with other people, you know, like she'll share her prophecies with other people in the stories, you know, she's not playing it close to the vest. And you know, she's not very cryptic about it. She's pretty straightforward. You know, sometimes there's like a little poetic edge on it, but she's not playing games with it. When she shares her prophecies, you know, you're going to pay the price for it, but she's telling it to you straight, which I think is really interesting when you think about typical stories of prophetics, of yeah, prophetic there's no like, like gods. There's no
0: like riddle to figure out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's just like, this is what's happening. So the the Morgan was also a shapeshifter, and we do see her take several different forms, and the various you know well-known stories about her, and she can even take multiple shapes in a single story. So we know that she was like an actual shapeshifter because you know it's not just the Morgan appearing as different creatures; it's the Morgan turning into creatures within this within the stories. So the most common that you'll see her in though are like a shapely maiden, <laughs> sexy times, yeah, very, um, very nice. <laughs> I know, Venice, a warrior queen, um, a crone, or a raven. And she did sometimes appear as a wolf. I mean, the raven is her go-to animal, but I just have to say, like, she has appeared as, like, a wolf.
0: And you know. that's, that's like a fierce look, for sure.
1: I mean, it is a big mood. Uh, but because she's, uh, because she's often been said to appear, though, at the death of prominent historical figures, um, some scholars have linked some of her like attributes to other spirits in Irish folklore and some of them that came later, like the Banshee or fairy woman, you know, there's some thoughts among scholars that like the ideas around those spirits might have been influenced by stories of the Morrigan. But I think one of the most important aspects of the Morrigan to a lot of witches um, that I know at least is she does have a triple goddess nature. And sometimes she appears as an individual, of course, but in a lot of stories, she actually shows up as three goddesses acting under a single name. And it depends on the story, but the other goddesses, you know, they can vary a bit. So in some cases, the daughters of Ermas, Bayabd Macha, and Anand were named as the Morrigan, with or Phaeus sometimes replacing one of the goddesses in the triad, but... In other in other stories, the Morgan is actually just listed as a sister of Baibdenmacha, and Anans was just like an alternate name for the goddess. So, you know, of course, I think when you're looking at early written traditions, the reason these are probably a little inconsistent is just like early people writing this down trying to like you know resolve a few different oral traditions into one. So, you know, it makes sense. But on to her origins. So the Morrigan was the daughter of Ernmas, uh, a mother goddess who was herself the daughter of Nuada, who is um, king of the Tua Danann, And her father is unknown, which honestly, I find refreshing. And she was married to Dagda, the great god and chief of the Tua Dadanan. Um, in some stories, they're not married, they're just lovers, but you know, I I think that to me I mean, they it, it they probably wasn't
0: that that big of a deal back then, you know. Yeah, it's like they were hanging out though for sure.
1: Oh, we know they were at least doing some banging, <laughs> but in Lauer Guala or the Book of Invasions, the Morgan does appear as a member of the Tuatadanan. And the tribe's arrival in Ireland was met with a lot of resistance by earlier settlers, uh, including the Firwalg and the Fomorians, which, Nick, what does Fomorians sound like to you? Oh my god,
0: yeah. I was actually thinking about the Magicians earlier. (laughs) <laughs> because uh, you were talking about uh, being the queen of the fairies. And I was like, the only queen of the fairies that the Morrigan would be is like the queen of the fairies from the magicians.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's she's got some Morrigan energy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the Tua de Danann, they show up. Then there's some of these early settlers that are not super excited to have these new people coming in. And of course, they quickly found themselves at war with the furwalg who... We were actually pretty intense adversaries. Uh, ultimately, though, the Tuatadanen were victorious, and so they establish a foothold on the island. But then, as humans are wont to do, more conflict came along. So the Fomorians, that other group of early settlers, did prove to be more intense foes. So the new king of the Tuatadanen, Lou of the Long Arm, asked the Morrigan to predict the outcome of the conflict and she predicted war and as the tuatadonn prepared for battle against the fomorians um the dagda sought out his wife you know for more info he was like okay lady i have some follow up questions <laughs> and he found her at the ford of the river Unshin in the county sligo where they proceeded to make love they got it on and when they were done, the Morrigan prophesied that the two De would indeed win the battle, but their victory would come at a very, very high price.
0: So, uh, uh, hold, hold on, hold up here. Uh, did she, was her prophecy bang-powered?
1: <laughs> you know, I I can't say no, and we know I mean, that sex intention- magic is strong. They, in,
0: they intentionally mentioned that it was right after right Right. (laughs) these are the questions these are the questions
1: i mean i think we can say probably so so after though after her like sex prophecy though she also foretells this like amazing thing that she's gonna do where she says she's gonna slay the femorian king in deck and bring two handfuls of his blood and kidneys to the river Uncheon, which wow right So the day of battle arrives and, you know, all the gods gather and they're prepared to fight the hordes of Fomorians at the Second Battle of Moitura. And Lou asked the Morrigan what she brought to the battle. And she said, pursuit, death and subjugation.
0: Wow, what a baddie. Oh my I God. I
1: know. So of course the battle turns into a bloodbath. Um, and then finally, you know, the Morgan ju- does come in and it ends with her arrival as the Fomorians flee from her and perish into the sea. And after the battle ended, the Morgan celebrated with a song and predicted that the world would end when the sea was without bounty and morals decayed. So- uh,
0: What?
1: Yeah, and we're killing the sea, aren't we?
0: Uh, that makes me nervous.
1: Right? So the Morgan also appears, though, prominently in the Ulster Cycle, where she was portrayed as a single individual who could take multiple forms. So this is where we get a lot of her, like, shape-shifting. And this is really the stories mostly regarding her in um, Kuhulin in Tanbo-Ragavna, um, the cattle raid of Regávna. Sorry, the the irish is hard
0: it, so, it, 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 i'm like i'm like
1: <laughs> i know um okay so in tombo ragovna or the cattle raid um Kuchilin chased an old woman driving a heifer from his territory and like was insulting her and as he attacked her she transformed into a raven and like when that happened cuchulainn realized that he had been fucking with the morrigan and he said of course he's like if i had known who you were like i would have acted more wisely and she responded that any action he might have taken would have inevitably led to the same result and offered a prophecy as payment for his insults, that he would die in upcoming battle and she would be there to watch. Wow. <laughs> Not so, fucking around. Right? So later in the tombokunya or the Battle Raid of Cooley, she appears as a raven warning the Brown Bull of Cooley to flee before the Queen Maeve of Kanacht. So... That's where you see a lot of uh, stories about like the Morrigan coming as a raven to, you know, bring omens of how the war would, you know, what the outcome of the war would be. And that you see that told about her a lot. So, you know, as Maeve, the aforementioned Maeve of Connacht, appears, uh, nearly all of the men of Ulster were inflicted with a terrible curse and Cuchulain alone was spared and he single-handedly defended the forts that marked Ulster's borders. And during a break in the combat, a young maiden offered herself to Kucholin both as a lover and as a battle companion. And Kukholan says, nah, I'm good. So he begins fighting, and he found himself under attack while he's fighting by nature. So as Kukholan, who just, like, turned down this, like, offer of this like sexy lady to fight along his side and he was like yeah no then he goes on to fight in the river and then like an eel tries to trip him a wolf stampeded cattle across the ford and uh the lead heifer of the stampede attacked him so you know he's not having a good day uh so even after kuhlin successfully defends himself from each of the trials uh and even like injured the attacking animals like he's fighting a human battle and an animal battle um, following his victory over Lach, Kuchulin actually meets an old woman milking a cow, like you do in these stories. And he noticed that the woman was blind in one eye, had a broken leg and cracked ribs. And those injuries happened to perfectly match up with the wounds that he had inflicted upon the animal attackers in the previous battle. So the old woman offers Kukhalin three drinks from her heifer, and he blessed her after each drink, healing one of her wounds with each blessing and when she was fully healed the woman at last reveals herself and she is the morrigan um who saw that one
0: coming i certainly did not
1: what a twist and of course this is when she takes the moment to remind kuhlin of his previous insults to her um as well as his oath to never aid or heal her which oh you done fucked up, boy. You just healed her. So he, you know, basically comes back all flustered and he's like, if he had known it was her, he would have never healed her. And then the Morrigan once again is like, hey, dude, remember, you're going to die and I'm going to be there. And then she pieces out. So forces gather for battle with Maeve, this like scary Maeve coming in and kicking ass. So before the battle begins, he has a vision of an old woman cleaning blood from his armor beside a river, which was an omen of things to come. The Morrigan called it. And during battle, he was mortally wounded. So Cuchulain vowed to die standing up and used his exposed entrails to tie himself to a stone in hopes that he might trick his enemies into thinking he was still alive. And the tactic actually worked and the enemies sort of relented. But then a single raven lands upon Cuchulain's shoulder and guide and his men realize the truth. Cuchulain has died. And despite her hatred, though of Cuchulain, the Morgan favored the men of Ulster, and so they ultimately won. His his men won. He just died. So
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that's uh, that's that's what they call paying the price. No,
1: right? We've all got a price, and Cuchulain's was steep.
0: <laughs> I mean, I I just is very shocking imagery of someone like tying themselves to a rock with their own guts. Like it makes me wow. think of.
1: Did you watch Dead Snow with me, the movie about Nazi zombies? Yes. That guy falling over the cliff and oh being caught God, on the tree by the his entrails.
0: Intestines? Yeah.
1: Yes. That's the vibe I get out of that.
0: Oh, that um, just like gives <laughs> me so much secondhand like un- uncomfiness.
1: Um and you know, there are a lot of scholars I've read who actually also view the Morgan as an earth goddess, and I feel like that makes so much sense to me personally. Because, like, her role of spirit of the land, like, isn't actually super far removed from, like, her roles over, like, war and fate. You know, it would make sense that she's, like, really a spirit of the land there. And, you know, she has these also really strong ties to, like, animals. You know, you you see her appearing a lot as different, like, creatures. So, to me, I feel like the ties to the Earth make good sense. And, of course, we know that, like, we're all... Creatures of Earth who are dependent on healthy ecosystems. And, you know, right now we're in a phase where, you know, this like global oppression and environmental devastation is like really wreaking havoc. And I've seen a few people beginning to wonder if, in this age of like mass mechanized violence, both against other humans and the planet, the Morrigan might not simply be gathering up an army of witches. So, Some fun quotes uh, from Peter Gray in Rewilding Witchcraft. Late capitalist culture simply does not care what our fantasy dress-up life is like as long as we work our zero-hour contracts, carry on our mobile phones, and keep on consuming. The reason that social services are not taking your children away is that nobody believes in the existence of the witch. Marching in lockstep with what used to be called mainstream but is now monoculture, we have disenfranchised ourselves, handed over our teeth and claws, and rustling luxuriant furs. And then another great one from Jason Thomas Pitzel, um, Witchcraft Today, Witchcraft Tomorrow, A Manifesto. Witchcraft is a tool against oppressors. It sides with the oppressors at its own peril for power is ever fickle and our gifts ever mistrusted by the bullies and abusers who would make our power their own. And so the reason I'm getting into this, it might seem like a bit of a, a detour, but it's really not. So like these days as witches, I feel like witchcraft is really becoming more and more sort of synonymous with warriorhood. And that's the Morrigan's like entire domain. You know, it's like, how are we supposed to practice like plant magic when all of the plants are covered in pesticides and being destroyed? How can we believe in an eminent goddess and then also let other humans continue to be like destroyed? How can we sing, feast, dance, like make music and love knowing like, what human suffering like fuels the cars we drive to these places or like the human suffering that goes into the crystals that we you know buy off of amazon so you know at this juncture of history it feels like to be a witch you know where we're not siding with the oppressors we do have to be like a strong warrior and you know there's like diana and Aradia and hecate are all really like commonly known i feel like as queens of witches but I totally agree with the person who I was reading who suggested that it seems like the Morgan should now also be considered one of the queens of the witch. And this is sort of like a QWP adjacent thing because there's so many people that will tell you like if you hear the call of the Morgan, you know, she's very scary and intense and don't work with her. Um but I think that there are some really great ways to work with the Morgan in your practice if that's something that you want to do so it's important to remember that unlike some deities the morrigan isn't asking you to honor her with like tea and little cakes oh my um, god
0: i'm i'm loving all of the magician's content in this episode
1: right um because the reality is though it's like the most powerful magic isn't about like cool robes it's about like listening to your deepest wisdom and getting shit done which is the morrigan embodied right like that's not to say rituals aren't important because like I love a good spell but if our rivers are being poisoned and our neighbors are being murdered by the police and you've got one hour it's like your priorities should be pretty clear so not work now you know working with the Morgan isn't for everyone and like that's definitely not what I want to put out there but if you feel drawn to working with her or you feel like you're being called I think that you should. And Yeah, she's going to ask a lot of you. And I've definitely read people experience some really awful things in like their dreams and their trance work. But like the reality is the world in 2021 writ large is a fucking nightmare. Like there's war and pollution and horrible human suffering all over the world. And just because we're in a bubble, so many of us, it doesn't mean that it's not there. And so the reality is that like working with a scary goddess like the Morrigan is like nothing compared to like the very real suffering that's happening in the world. So if you're hearing her call, I think you need to listen. And that's advice that I didn't take myself a year ago. And I haven't heard the call again. But if I do, I do think I'll answer next time. Because this idea that, you know, a warrior goddess, a goddess that's like all about like fate and prophecy and like death and destruction, it sounds really scary until you recontextualize her and realize that like, she also was getting shit done for the greater good, right? And so I think that's energy that we could all use. And I I heard it described really well on another podcast I was listening to recently called Witch Space. Um, You know, they're like, if you feel like you're being called to add something into your practice, Some things are going to be like heavy doors and you're going to have to really push. And that might not be a real calling then, you know, that might be an interest, but you could also have sort of this like cool breeze sensation of something that's calling to you and it's easy to get through and you don't have to push. And that's something that it seems like does make really good sense for your practice. So if you think that working with the Morgan is for you, if you feel like you're being called, Don't push it if it's not something that's naturally happening. But if it is, I say go for it because like, I don't know what your path with her will look like, but it's going to be hard work, but it will definitely be important work, like especially work that we need right now. And there's not going to be like a lot of like pomp and circumstance and glory because that's not what the Morrigan is about. But it is like, there's this big fucking battle that we need to go into or else like all humans are quite literally doomed. So, you know, the Morrigan is hardcore. She's very intense. This is, like, barely scratching the surface of her stories because she is a very important figure in Irish lore. Um, But I just wanted to, like, sort of like we did with Hecate, I wanted to, like, sort of pivot how we think about her because there is a lot of fear-mongering around the Morrigan, and I don't think that that's well-deserved.
0: Yeah, it's a little... uh... It's like a Scarlet Letter situation.
1: Uh, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, it's like maybe... people fucking work with Zeus. Like you're telling me.
0: <laughs> right. So yeah.
1: I do want to... Um, this I use some great sources. So godsandradicals.com. You've heard me reference that website before. It's really fun. Um, mythopedia.com. Lauren O'Brien's YouTube channel. And Mythical Ireland YouTube channel. I, I kid you not. I listen to so many like native irish people talking about mythology to try and not totally butcher the the irish uh gaelic in here so i hope that it was like at least passable for any of our uk listeners um feel Uh, free to tell me otherwise though
0: yeah yeah, give us uh give us the bitch slap if not (laughs) right oh my god so we're here we're here at my part of the episode today Um, And, you know, I think maybe we should, before we kind of delve into this, just kind of talk about, like, what's going on in my family and stuff right now. Um, I had my grandma pass away, so I kind of wanted to do something that would be maybe a little more fun and a little more easy this week for myself. Um, So (laughs) that's why we've got, like, a very Shannon-heavy episode this week. Uh, And next week, uh, we are doing what I think uh, like a ones and fronds and friends and you have some lovely witchy friends who will be replacing me
1: for the yeah just for the week um Nick's gonna be out next week obviously um sending all of our good love light a candle for Nick and his family um so next week you'll hear from me and a couple of special guests we just want to make sure that we still give you some content even though Nick can't be with us so after that though it will be it's, our it's special live
0: episode. episode. It's yeah. the live, once and front spectacular for my thirtieth birthday, I know. Uh, and I will be in California with Shannon, and we will be together. And uh, we're maybe I think going to do like a live chart reading for someone perhaps, and take some questions, and just feel the love uh, in the same room.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end, but I do think it's going to be really great. And it'll also be a really great time for people to send in all of the great things that you love about Nick, because it is going to be his four, three, two, one thirtieth. So
0: very true. So true, bestie. So true. (laughs)
1: Um, But yeah, when you said this is a very Shannon heavy episode, I was like, yeah, I've talked a lot. And now we're going to talk about me.
0: Now we're going to talk about (laughs) you. Because, no, so we did the, like Aries episode and um, we had talked like a little bit about my birth chart. And I thought this would be fun to kind of look at Shannon's birth chart.
1: Yeah. And
0: um, so Shannon knows this, but um, I have not taken down any of my notes onto our like shared, uh, what is it? Our shared like Google document yeah, that we use I for know. our script. This is so, all
1: new for me, but this is also a fun preview if, you know, you want to take Nick up on his offer to like, you know, practice by looking at your practice
0: doing some little birth charts. So um, I have done some research about Shannon's chart uh, and I tried to look at this. OK, so I have known Shannon for uh, 17 years this year, which is uh, a lot of years, um, S- several, several. And we have lived together. <laughs> I think collectively, maybe like four or five years over that time. Yeah. Um, Which is, you know, a good amount of time in and of itself. So I feel like for someone you know so well, it is a little difficult to kind of separate what you already know versus what you're looking at in an astrology chart. So um, I kind of tried to like divorce myself from the idea of the Shannon that I know as a person and like just look at the chart. And so... The first thing I see in this chart is, like, the perfect sun-moon opposition, because you were born under a full moon. Um, And that is, like, just a very strong aspect of this chart. I think it's, like, the defining feature of this chart. And people with this aspect uh, often have trouble reconciling, like, who they truly are versus, like, who they are maybe expected to be (laughs) um yeah it's it's very much like a great expectations thing um
1: almost like having a very like intense professional job but really loving the podcast and wanting that to be your life
0: (laughs) right um but i think there's also something to say about your pisces moon um really is such a loud placement here because you have it in your first house um, which is like very much tied to your sense of self and like who you are at like your bedrock foundations as a person so like and your moon is just sitting right there (laughs) but then (laughs) the next four houses after that are completely empty so it's almost like it's alone over there, and like everyone else <laughs> in your entire chart is hiding from like they're like all scooched away from it, you know?
1: Yeah, they're they're um, like the moon's got this. We're gonna just be over here in the
0: corner. <laughs> we're just, but uh, no. So that Pisces moon, though, opposition to your Virgo sign, like you are right on that axis of the Virgo. I mean, because it's also sister signs so like your moon is in your sun sister sign um like they could not be more of a strong opposition between them like they're on that kind of axis too um so i would but i would say though equally as strong of a placement here is that you have your sun mercury jupiter and venus in the same house as well
1: yeah, it's crowded over there.
0: It's very, <laughs> and it's like it's not like little placements. It's not comets. It's not Uranus and Neptune, which are important, but like are kind of more generational kind of planets. Um, like they really are just all hang, and it's they're just all hanging out right there. Um, but I think. You have such a strong Mercury influence because you've got your sun in Virgo and your midheaven is on the Sagittarius-Gemini line. Um, So it isn't, your midheaven is in Sagittarius, but it's like on that polarity. Um, And yeah, like Gemini is in your fourth house. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is also an empty house, though.
0: It's all—it's an empty house, but I would say that that kind of indicates uh, that like your your close family, you maybe have mixed feelings about them. Um,
1: oh, that sounds so far off. Just kidding. Um, oh, and Nick, you know, I don't know if you mentioned which house was the crowded one.
0: Oh, the seventh house. Yeah. And so seventh house people struggle with, losing themselves in their relationships with other people um and I would say since I have been your friend so long I have seen you kind of like change shape you know we were talking about how the Morrigan changes shape Um, yeah and you you are something of like a social shapeshifter I have seen you like hang out with the bros like business bro kind of People and I, I'm not going to name any names here. Although none of those people, I think, probably listen to our podcast.
1: probably not. But
0: um, although they are supportive friends uh, and they probably follow follow us online, regardless. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but I've seen you hang out with some broy dudes and like own it at beer pong and just be like crass like a straight man, right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I have also seen you throw uh galentine's day um (laughs) and it's 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 crazy how how you can be whatever you are around and i would say that that's like a strength and that's like really uh something that not a lot of people can do and it's something you know and i'm sure it's the same with like your work you know like i'm sure when you're at work you were just like a consummate professional
1: yeah, um, I mean, working as a fundraiser—that's always felt like something I'm very good at relating to people, and that right. it—it's made me good at fundraising. And I hope that people think it has made me a good podcaster.
0: I—I but... <laughs> I mean, I—I I, I certainly feel that way. But uh, <laughs> so the th- um, on, it is a placement that I share that we both have our son in the seventh house, um, which is supposedly. Not a very good aspect for married life. Um, but I just think it's funny that you are in a successful marriage. And I, I have been proposed to twice. So I don't know if that actually holds up to be true. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess time will tell. So far, so good. I feel like my marriage is very successful. Um, but I did have a lot of really horrible relationships leading up to
0: Sure. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, trial by error. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't you don't want to get lost in your relationships. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of the pitfall of that placement of like having your son in the seventh house.
1: Oh, and I've totally um, been there, too. Like, historically, I've definitely been there. And I think this is one of the great things about astrology, because it's like, you know, it also shows us places we can grow.
0: Right um and so i do love the sagittarius midheaven uh being the sister t- sister sign of my gemini midheaven um very so it's cute like, it's like very much like our charts are flipped uh upside down from each other um like we definitely have some like good yin and yin and yang energy uh, oh yeah between the two of us because i also have that like very the uh, Venu- venusian thing and you have nothing in torres and like what what do we have here in libra i know that it's not like
1: i don't think yeah, anything it's one,
0: it's one of the comets it's oh pups, yeah so okay it's, like...
1: it's, a, it's a comet
0: <laughs> so yeah i um, uh, but uh the north node in capricorn uh i think is interesting because you are married to a capricorn
1: i oh, am yeah. um, it's true
0: so And Lilith in Capricorn as well, I feel like is a good one to mention here, vis a vis being uh, literally married to a Capricorn and having a yeah. node. And Lilith in Capricorn uh, seems significant to me. Yeah. Um,
1: Do you want to maybe tell people a little bit about what Lilith placements
0: like um, signify? So, so, Lilith placements uh, to me kind of represent almost like a forbidden fruit aspect or it's like a mm-hmm. uh, like like your dark darkest desire to, if that makes sense yeah uh, yeah your darkest desire will have uh capricorn elements to them <laughs> uh, yeah it's fun it and it is fun uh and you were married to a capricorn yeah, so
1: i yeah, am married to a Capricorn
0: uh it is entirely possible that that represents uh one of your darkest desires uh uh but uh, so the aquarius rising uh is also an interesting one here, uh, like sharing the first house with your moon uh that is in pisces um you know i okay so as an Aries, I seem to attract a lot of virgos into my life um and supposedly we're not supposed to get along. Um but I really feel like with you especially it is the Aquarius rising that caught my attention yeah. because you had that crazy like highlighter yellow hair in 8th grade. <laughs> and that's yep. totally 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 the reason I like singled you out as someone to be friends with. Um because I was new at that school and that is like huge Aquarius rising energy you were like I just want to be weird and like not give a fuck (laughs) Um, yeah which you also were the one who showed me like Rocky Horror Picture Show that's Uh, true and I feel like that is pretty big Aquarius energy in and of itself just being like oh you gotta watch this movie (laughs)
1: you wait you haven't you have to you have to
0: <laughs> you have to watch this movie um
1: and i know i have one of my cats is named after uh my cat hexis is named after another stellar tim curry character hexis from Gully.
0: you know maybe that's an Aquarian thing because my friend callie is an aquarius son and she also loves tim curry so Ooh,
1: much. maybe
0: uh, Other Aquarius
1: would, people write in, let us know.
0: Yeah, Aquarius listeners, write in and let us know. Is loving Tim Curry an Aquarian thing? Cuz <laughs> I'm I'm feeling like it is. But okay, so we also have Mars in Virgo, which feels very much like you. Um like my Mars is in Cancer, so my Mars is in detriment. Um but your Mars is in Virgo and I would say, like, you uh, like complicated things. Um, like you! Like, yes. It's like you can appreciate uh, very complex things. Uh, and and you were maybe a bit of a perfectionist at times. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like you, <laughs> with that Mars and Virgo, kind of like, you, you want to take on, like, very multifaceted and complex projects. And then... You know, kind of complete them in the most perfect way possible. And sometimes, you know, like maybe you are a little hard on yourself for not getting everything right the first time, even though you're like doing very ambitious things.
1: Nick, I need you to stop listening in on my conversations with my therapist
0: <laughs> like um, and so I think that's like a very that's like a very Shannon placement is like the Mars in Virgo like that like perfectionism but also that idea that like the biggest fight of your life is like (laughs) judging yourself you know like yep like that's kind of self-critical thing
1: yeah and my Pisces moon when that happens can get me looping real hard
0: right because it's like again and you have your sun and moon in opposition like on this axis like the pisces virgo axis which is very much like like i with the pisces especially i feel like it might be easy for you to like detach from reality when you are like in that self-critical place because pisces very much is like has you know it's like that Pisces are the people who can, like, astral project in their dreams and, like, go on vision quests very easily and they, like, can have that, like, disconnection from reality very easily uh, in good ways, but, like, you know, like, maybe you were, like, disconnecting with that Virgo energy, like, from reality, and it's, like, it's, like, this f- combo of, like, fantasy and, like, self-critical thinking. Um... That, yeah, I mean, is probably one of the biggest struggles in your life because they're, like, the two biggest placements that you can have, you know, in opposition to each other. <laughs> uh, yep. You know, it's not like, I mean, if it was Jupiter, which Jupiter is right there. It's not in direct opposition to your moon, but it is right there in the same house. And, you know, it's kind of like one thing that might be holding you back. uh, from getting all of the, like, bountiful gifts of Jupiter might be related to, like, the Piscean energy with your with your Pisces moon, um, since those are in opposition to each other as well. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's I think, the biggest... Pl- I, I mean, you know, it's like, I could go through house by house, but, honestly, half of your fucking houses are empty. <laughs> uh, but also, I feel like that would take, like, a really long time.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I feel like this is a good, like this is a piece of what a chart reading is like, you know, it's, it is helping you identify big themes and like everything Nick that you said really resonates. That's definitely the, the Pisces moon Virgo sun I feel like has very much colored my internal conflict, but my Aquarius ascendant like keeps things light enough that I'm still approachable from the outside.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Because you know it's like um, it's like that Billie Eilish kind of thing. Like, isn't Billie Eilish an Aquarius? I don't. I don't know. It's like Aquarius. Uh, the Aquarius Rising really kind of gives makes like lifts the whole thing. Yeah, like, I think the Virgo Sun Pisces Moon in opposition. That's like a pretty heavy placement to like live with.
1: <laughs> right, um,
0: but like the Aquarius Rising, it's like that's kind of fun though. That's kind of fun and um. I do. I do love Aquarians, though, because Aquarians seem to like absorb and retain information in an interesting way. Um, I think air signs like Gemini and Libra kind of get this reputation for being like, quote unquote, airheads. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think Aquarius is like probably I think like the sharpest air sign Um, because like literally every Aquarius I know. Uh, including you like knows what's going on in the world somehow like they don't like (laughs) you know and still has a life like they go to work and they go to school and they do other things but and it's like but it's like how how are you how do you do that and watch 12 hours of news a day or like read every newspaper I don't
1: yeah I listen to a lot of like politics and like world news podcasts while I'm working because I'm insane. But I guess the only other thing, Nick that we didn't really touch on is that my big three are Earth, water and air. I have no fire in my big three.:
0: That is true. Uh, that also, though, I think it's interesting to note that you have three big planets in retrograde. Uh, but oh, yeah uh, so you've got Mercury in retrograde, Venus in retrograde, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune in retrograde. Um, so, uh, and then also, but we have a lot of this because we were, we have a lot of the same outer planet placements yeah. because we were born in the same year. So like we both have the Uranus-Neptune conjunction in Capricorn. Um, we both have our Jupiters in Leo, but like your Jupiter is what is making you have a Leo stellium basically. Yeah. Like a little yeah. baby stellium, but it's, it's like... like I-
1: I have a baby stellium in fire, but I have no fire in my big three.
0: <laughs> and I think that's also one of the reasons that, like, you attract fire sign people like me as well, is, like, you definitely have a pretty solid core of fire energy without having very big fire placements.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's true.
0: But, oh, oh so one thing I will say, um, and your Venus is retrograde in Leo. <laughs> but your Venus is still in Leo. Um, yeah. And, uh, okay, so what I, and uh, this is kind of a diss. This is like the only diss I'm including in this part <laughs> Okay, good. But, Let's um, go. Venus and Leo people are so vain.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, no. N- yeah. Like, I've never met a Venus and Leo person who was not like fully into the aesthetic of their partner
1: <laughs> yes
0: uh as part of the whole deal um and like since i've been doing chart readings i mean like i said i tend to attract a lot of virgos into my life um because the universe seems to think that i need like schooling
1: <laughs> or the universe uh, thinks that we all need to fucking learn how to take a joke or or that
0: uh i think it's i think it's um why a, not mutually, both? It's a mutually <laughs> beneficial relationship with me yeah. and the Virgos in my life, but a lot of y'all do have Venuses and Leo, and uh, I, I just I know more than one Venus and Leo person uh, in my little chart saver. and uh, yeah, y'all are vain as fuck. So
1: yeah, I mean, I couldn't be married to an Ugo, but also no, I do, I'm very relaxed. In how I look, but I work hard to make the relaxed look good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a lot of attention also, goes into being, like, artfully disheveled, okay?
0: <laughs> it, re- it really does. And you know your business with okay. aesthetic stuff. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, I did just get a new couch, which I cannot wait for you to see.
0: Like, I, I feel like Leo, and you have so much Leo in your chat, I feel like Leo is, like, unofficially a venus planet because of their uh, like obsession with aesthetics and fashion and yeah like everyone talks about like taurus and libra having those traits uh and like how leo is like all about getting attention well one of the ways that you can get attention is aesthetics and
1: we just do it with a fran drescher aesthetic
0: right Um... and honestly
1: i'm here for it (laughs)
0: Yes, it's like it's okay to be loud.
1: Yeah, it's okay with to your be gaudy.
0: fucking aesthetic. Like, get that. Att- like, why if if why are you wearing clothes if not for attention? So yeah,
1: why are you buying a new couch if it's not a navy velvet couch that's ninety inches long and very luxurious? Why bother?
0: Why bother? I mean, <laughs> if someone doesn't walk into the room and gasp, have you really done your job decorating?
1: No, truly not. <laughs> um. Well, that was so much fun. Um, I guess we're, we're here close to the end. So I'm doing the tarot scope today. Um, today, though, I was really excited since I was doing the Morrigan that I got a tarot scope for our dear Scorpios, because there's a lot of mutual energies between the Morrigan and Scorpios. And for you, my darlings, I have drawn the reversed four of cups. So classic Shannon fashion, I want to sort of touch on first what the fours in tarot represent for people that maybe are new and learning. So there's a lot of like creativity and dynamism in the threes in tarot. So right after that, you come to the fours, which are all about like context and constraints, like things that help us orient ourselves. And these are really cards that are talking about, you know, stability and order. It's not about taking like, big leap of it's not a big leap of faith it's not like a make the bold move card like these are you need to lay a foundation so we have the cups which we've talked about before they're all about like intuition and emotion and you know like our scorpio babies they're also associated with water so this card though to you my dear scorpios i am reading this as an invitation for you to stay home get comfortable with yourself and do some introspection to determine what really grounds you. And so I know at first pass, this seems like a weird message to give you all after we've been quarantining for over a year. But I think right now it's extra important for people with strong water placements to make sure that you're taking a beat to center yourself before we venture back into whatever the new normal is going to look like. You know, like this is the time when you need to check back in with your inner self and make sure like, the steps that you're taking today align with like who you want to be and what you want to do in this life. You know, you don't want to just immediately jump back into like life pre-pandemic, you know, you're being encouraged to take this time to like check in. This is also a great opportunity to re-envision what things look like for yourself because we have had this like time to step back. And so this is really an encouragement for you Scorpios check in, you know, make the changes now before you're totally recommitted to your former habits. And, you know, we hopefully won't have another huge pandemic in our lifetime. So it's like, this is this is the opportunity and you have a chance to make a change, but you need to like take a beat. You know, I know it's very exciting to get back out there, but this but is I, important. I,
0: I, I feel like here it's like taking a beat to like maybe go through a process of rebirth is so in Scorpio's wheelhouse.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if anyone can do it and come out the other side somehow hotter, it's going to be Scorpio's.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm excited to see it.
1: Personally. I am too. And <laughs> I know this is like, it felt so funny to me at first when I saw this, but then the more I was like reflecting on it, I was like, no, this message, though, it feels very timely, actually. And this is something I've been talking about a little bit with my therapist too. It's like, as things start to open back up, I think all of us, in general, just like before, you jump back into exactly how things were. You know, remember the things that you didn't enjoy, because we all right. have. Yeah, a and then great it's like, reset. what are you going to do?
0: Go back to doing that?
1: No yeah. way! It's like this is a pretty big reset for all of us. So take the opportunity, but especially you, darling Scorpios.
0: So oh, love that.
1: Me too. Um. So that's that's that. That's our podcast for today. This has been fun
0: um, it's been real it's been fun
1: <laughs> it's been um, delightful the next
0: time you will hear from me we'll be on the live episode so you better be sending in questions comments mean angry letters oh my gosh if we get a good like angry letter um like if you were a christian and you were offended by this podcast please an tell us Please write in an angry letter so we can read it for my birthday because it would fill me with joy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Y'all can also send Nick birthday wishes, um, mm-hmm. sending him love to him and his family. But please do send in like questions and stuff to wandsandfronspod at gmail.com or at on Instagram. We really want to hear from y'all. We need y'all to do a Q&A episode. We we won't have any A's if you don't give us any Q's.
0: That's true. Um... And then if we don't have any cues, we're just gonna be in the same room cracking jokes. And you'd you'd hate to hear that. Um Yeah, no, we, we don't some, have
1: we... we don't have a tight hour and a half of jokes, y'all. You're not gonna wanna be there yeah, for that. Yeah, I mean
0: it's like <laughs> 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 yeah, you'd really get into some uh some blooper materials there. Right. But no, we're just I, gonna we start
1: have... reading through silent laughter. We're gonna
0: find it and start reading through it. Oh my god, our play that we wrote. Uh, We did co-write a play in middle middle school. school. (laughs) Um, Just give it a a little podcast treatment. I honestly, y'all, that this is a threat. Do you want to read a? Do you want to hear a play written by middle schoolers?
1: Back when Happy Bunny was the coolest shit in the world. Mm -hmm. You don't send in questions.
0: Send in this question. Although, um, I I personally would love to read that if I ever found a copy of it.
1: You know. I am Instagram friends with our theater teacher. Maybe I'll see if he has it. Uh, on that note, though, um, I feel like that's like perfect Patreon content. Whoever, once we have a Patreon, I think if yeah, we yeah, can find the The script... top level
0: of Patreon is that <laughs> you can read silent laughter in its entirety.
1: No, it's that Nick and I will read it. We'll oh do a my table God. read.
0: Yes, the table read of silent laughter. The original version, though, because uh, no offense to Mr. Bogner
1: um oh yeah no the Geraldo Rivera thing has to go the
0: Geraldo Rivera the uh what is it the Steve Irwin
1: yeah just because that girl who played that character uh couldn't do an accent that didn't always become Australian
0: so we just made her Australian and um Dr. Phil uh no 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 (laughs) so I I mean I don't want to say I, the the original name of the doctor character uh, was a copyrighted fast food item, which I'm not gonna say here because I don't want to have to pay for it later. Uh, <laughs> but um, wow, that happened. Uh, but hey, so you guys, if you have a a play that you wrote in middle school that you want to email us, it's uh, at Wands and fronds. Wands and fronds pod at gmail.com. Oh my god, I cannot talk right now.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think that's a sign. We love you guys. To all of the bitches out there. We say, blessed be
0: bitches. Blessed be to all of the bitches.
1: <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. My uncle always somethings his tuna. That's why he's not invited to the family reunions anymore. <laughs>
0: Big same, big same.
1: It's It gets a little bit awkward once the kids are older, you know? It's like <laughs> yeah, one I thing mean. to something your tuna when they don't know what's going on, <laughs> but... <laughs>